Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, what a great question to start out with. Do you love your work? Now, some people still think that's just a pipe dream, especially in today's economy, especially with the way the workforce is so volatile today. Who would expect to love your work? It's just something you feel lucky to have, even if it's slinging hay bales or digging in salt mines, I guess. Well, believe it or not, there's a whole lot of people figuring out how to love their work right now, and I'm delighted to be on the receiving end of those stories day after day after day. So I hope you're one of those. Let me know your story about how you've created or found work that you love. And it it comes in just a variety of ways. But, you know, one of the things that I have the pleasure of doing is seeing people just put their creative skills into use and to come up with all kinds of things. And of course, I get books and letters and manuscripts and songs and artwork and all kinds of things here. Some of those are a little difficult to translate in an audio podcast like this, but some of them are easy to do. Here's a couple examples. Here's one from Alex. Alex lives in Norway, and he just likes to play around and has done some really creative stuff for me over the years. Welcome to the 48 Days to the Work You Love Internet Radio Show with Dan Miller who, for the next 48 minutes or so, will share his experiences and provide you with advice on how you can add value to your working life and so bring positive changes and a positive impact to other areas of your life as well. So whether you're working for the man or whether you're working for yourself, sit back for the next 48 minutes and let Dan do the work and show you how you can say goodbye to those Monday morning blues. Here on 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast very long, you know that I've chosen to keep the intro music, Taking Care of Business, the old Bachman-Turner Overdrive song. Got a licensing deal with Sony to use that officially, and so I I love to use that. But I also love the kind of things, the creative things that people come up with that really do add uh, value and variety to what we're doing here. All right, here's another one. Now, this one comes from Nathan Eckall, and uh, I'll tell you more about him in a couple of weeks, he's uh, developing some things I want you to know about. But here's just just a little audio that he sent. The following is an encouragement voicemail from Nathan Eckel and the Life Tree Group. To the 48 Days team, you guys rock. Thanks for showing us how to create the work we love. We appreciate the hours you've invested and your willingness to invest your expertise in us. Our collective success will be so meaningful because of your practical advice. Thanks for the opportunity to model a 48 Days culture with you. Because the 48 Days team helps us find and create the work we love, you get the Life Tree Encouragement voicemail of the week. Is that cool? <laughs> uh, I'm not a technical guy. Now, I, I love what technology does, and we use a lot of things here, and I'm blown away at the functionality of some of our websites and things we're able to do today. I'm not the brains behind that, but I'm always appreciative of people who do creative things like that. Uh, I am getting ready to uh, produce a couple new CDs, and here, here's the way I do it. A lot of you are curious about how I produce audio products. It used to be that I would go to a professional studio and we would set it up and I would pay people to take care of the recordings. 
it's actually gone the other way at this point where I'm probably more capable of handling details like that. It's gotten much simpler and I don't do that anymore. So I I'm cre- just created two new audio CDs to go with the new right to the bank material. We've talked about that for the last couple of groups that have come through. And so the audio is done. I did the audio in the same way that I'm doing this podcast right here in my office on my little mixer with my setup that, you know, my buddy Cliff Ravenscraft set me up with all the equipment. I'm, I did the audio right here. Then I upload it to our FTP server, which again is tech is terminology that I don't really even understand. But anyway, I can upload it to an FTP server and then I have a producer arranger who pulls that down. Next Tuesday morning, I'm going to be at his house. His studio is in his house. He's got an amazing studio with, you know, golly, like 10 big screen TVs in it and all this wild stuff. But anyway, it's in his house and I'm going to go over there and we're going to choose the bump music at the beginning and the end. So we'll pull that off a site like Music Bakery. Boom, it'll take us five minutes to choose something there. He'll fade it in and fade it out at the beginnings. And I have recorded it so that I have left little breaks, like five second break in between where I want tracks. He will do the process called authoring, which will then put those tracks in. So we create a master and then we can show the tracks on the face of the CD and somebody can go right to track four if they want to, rather than listening from beginning to end on a 58 minute audio CD, which they are. So it's easy to make things pretty professional at this point and still have very, very low production cost. Now with that, I think that uh, he charges me $125 to do that kind of professional editing the music at the front and the back. But now, but see, I didn't tie up all the time sitting there recording it. That's already done. I'm happy with that. I already did the editing that I needed to do on that took out, you know, coughs, ums, uh ahas, or whatever. And so that's okay. So that part, it was easy for me to do alone. And then he just puts those little touches on it. And we have a really nicely done audio CD. It's just, um, it's encouraging how things get easier and easier uh, to produce professional intellectual product products that we you know turn out and you can certainly do the same a lot of you ask about that some of the questions today deal with that how can i turn out new products what do i have to do here's some of the uh, questions that we'll be dealing with today can i make money giving things to people in need now there's an interesting question what if you have a giving sharing nurturing humanitarian heart you want to help other people how can you turn that into providing your own needs as well interesting question we'll look at that Dan, can I make money as a consultant to new musicians? I've been searching for my passion for the past 16 months. Does James 1.8 apply to me? I'll read that to you, remind you what that says, and we'll apply it to this young guy's situation. Someone says, Dan, Peter Thiel, founder of PayPal, is offering $100,000 to 20 students to leave college and develop their own innovative ideas working with entrepreneurs. What do you think? I'll tell you what I think. I think it's phenomenal. And I'll tell you why. Another one, can a high SC personality style be good as a mortgage salesperson? Dan, I'm a school counselor and overworked, but my job is totally secure. <laughs> uh, yeah, really? Well, well, we'll get to that too. But anyway, this uh, lady says, should I invest the time and money to get my counseling license? 
And um, someone asked, I'm 24 years old. I love to work. Problem is I get bored so fast and change jobs like they're going out of fashion. I feel insecure about this and I'm lost. Well, we'll plow through those and more. Got a quotation for you this morning. This one comes from the movie The Lion King. Now, I have a hard time sitting through animated feature films. Fortunately, I've got grandchildren that uh, drag me to those, so I get to see most of them. And it's amazing how well done a lot of them are and how much truth how much great principles there are, how many great principles there are in a lot of these movies. Lion King is certainly one of those. But there's that part in The Lion King where Simba's being challenged to go back home and be the king he was born to be. Remember that? He had run away from his destiny. The struggle in confronting his mean uncle was just you know, too tough to deal with, and he just cut out. But now he looks in the water, and he sees the subtle reflection of his father, Mufasa, who says, you have forgotten who you are. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. Remember who you are. Oh my gosh, I love that line. You are more than what you have become. Now, now, that's not to pile guilt on anyone. I mean, I ask myself that question. Am I more than what I have become? I love to think about that. You know, have I short-circuited something that I was destined to do. Well, I hope that you're on the path to do what you were born to do, what you were created and destined to do, but it's a worthy question. Are you more than what you have become? Well, let me go into the questions and we've got today. Hello, Dan. Good day. You know, whenever a question comes in that says good day, I suspect it's from Australia and usually they are. This caller doesn't or reader doesn't identify himself as such, but Tom, says, good day. Could you please tell me the best way to start in the vending machine business? Where can I find the best information on open business areas, routes for sale, best machines, best types of vending, etc.? I read in an article from you that vending can be very profitable. Well, yes, it can be. I'm a big fan of the vending business. Vending is still one of the three top millionaire makers in America. Now, you think about it. Think how many vending machines you encounter in the course of a given day. I mean, they're everywhere. Now, is it a easy business? No, not an easy business at all. Location is critical. A lot of people have purchased machines, hearing the stories about how vending machines make money, and then they never found great locations to put them, and now they're collecting dust in a garage somewhere. There's thousands of stories like that. So you need to look at this as a business. This is not some kind of magic pill. It's a business like any others. You need to research it, see if people really want what it is that you would be vending. I knew a gentleman a few years ago who got several very expensive Tic Tac vending machines. It required 75 cents. Now, what that means, I mean, think through this with me for a little bit. How many people are going to want Tic Tacs in the course of a given day? Well, some, certainly. You recognize your breath would you know, knock a buzzard off a manure spreader, and you, so you want some Tic Tacs, reasonably so. There's going to be a few, but it's going to be a few. The second thing is, you decide that you want the Tic Tacs. Do you have three quarters in your pocket? I mean, I could go an entire year and never have three quarters in my pocket. I have a habit at the end of the day, emptying my pockets. If I, in fact, have spent any cash or have any change, I 
empty the change into a big pickle jar. And then when we get ready to go on a cruise every year, I just cash it out. And that's just kind of a blow money on the cruise for my wife. That's just kind of a pattern that we've set up over the years. But I mean, there can, there can be a week that goes by where I never have any cash transactions at all. And now we have to have three quarters to put in a machine that's going to reduce your market dramatically. He put the machines in a couple office buildings. Well, in an office building, you may have 30 people go by during the course of a day. That's not enough to make a vending machine profitable. Location is key. Now, that being said, there are people who make lots and lots of money with bubble gum and candy and M&Ms and all those things that you see. Most of the high traffic areas are contracted. I mean, even on a university, you can't go on a university campus and say, I want to put a machine in the men's locker room. No, they've already got a contract with Pepsi or Coca-Cola, somebody like that, that has a contract for the vending machines on the entire campus. You aren't going to be able to go into a, a Wendy's or a McDonald's. They can't do that. They're under franchise agreements. Anything done is going to be done corporately. You can't go into a Walmart. I mean, yeah, they have banks of vending machines when you walk in in the lobby. Those aren't individual people in the community who just wanted to put one in there. That's done corporately. You can't get in there. So you're really going to be confined to the little mom and shop, mom and pop operations, or you may be able to get into a truck stop out on the side of town, but the great locations are going to be pretty difficult to get into. However, now here's my however, and I don't want to just drag this out, but I got a big however. Those kind of vending machines that first come to mind that are peanuts, M&Ms, and gumballs are just one form of vending. Think with me about a couple other things. I've always had a hankering to have a car wash. What is a car wash? It's just a big vending machine the same kind of thing you have a service that's available a product water and soap people drive in they put their money in i mean i like the model a lot that's another form of vending machine and one that i personally do like i i've never done it probably never will but i always uh, joke with joanne because you frequently see car washes that are being sold at auction i keep telling her i'm going to buy one now again i'm sure the maintenance challenges would be uh significant but um, and you have to be there it's a physical location you're locked down a lot of things about even that that are restricting let me take you one more level and these are just these are just quick examples of different kinds of vending our hottest selling product well before i tell you that i'll have to tell you i had cashew machines if you've ever read my book no more dreaded mondays you probably heard my story in there about buying cashew machines when I was just a beginning college student, took grant money that was supposed to be used for college, and I bought hot cashew vending machines, had an old drunk come down from the company and placed those as they promised in some of the sleaziest beer joints in town that terrified me to even walk in there as a little Mennonite kid. And I very quickly learned that if cashews aren't turned about every 12 hours, they start to mold, which they did very quickly. Customers were upset. I got those things out of there and just like I said earlier, hid them in the chicken coop where my dad never did know that I had them. They collected dust until I sold them to somebody for essentially the junk metal that I considered them to be. So I had a very negative experience with vending and I love vending because I took that experience, which is the lesson I would encourage each of you to have. Take a a negative lesson that you had learn from it. At this point, we have personality profiles. It is our hottest selling 
product, we sell thousands and thousands of the electronic personality profiles. Think with me about that for a minute. We have a system set up on our site. People can come in there at 2 a.m. in the morning. They put in their three quarters electronically with a credit card and they get the report. It's nothing but a vending machine. But because of the way it's set up, I don't have to back a truck up to a dock and drive across town. I can have somebody in Bangkok or somebody in Germany who purchases from us. When the inventory runs low, we simply restock it. Yes, it is something we restock. We pay for those reports through a licensing agreement with the software developer, but it's a vending business. But there are no geographic restrictions we can deliver to any company or individual anywhere in the world. They just put in their money, and again, when the stock runs low, we restock it. I love it. It's an electronic vending business that is one of the biggest money makers that we have in our company today. So those are the kind of things you need to look at. Become educated in vending if you want to explore it. Don't just think that, well, here's somebody that wants to sell five machines. I'll buy them and the locations. Nah, that's a recipe for disaster. If they're selling them, trust me, they aren't making money. So don't think you can just take them over and just go around and collect the money and have it be profitable. No, there's a reason they're for sale. A lot of other things, again, vending, you can buy vending machines at Costco. You don't need to buy them as a business opportunity where you pay $1,000 a piece. You can probably pay 70 bucks a piece and get the same machine. Let me move on. Dan comes from Matt in Denver. I'm almost ready to ditch the cube and leap into the music industry as a producer, songwriter, and possibly a business consultant. Which is what my question is regarding. As you know, the music industry is changing significantly in regards to how it conducts business, specifically the digitization of the music product. The marketing for the product empowers musicians to be their own business. Now, it goes on with a lot of information there. My questions, did you ever have this kind of fear? And if so, how did you get over it? Number two, is it possible to be a success, be successful with an informational product without a long history of form, formulaic success? And number three, do you think this idea could be profitable, especially since artists are starving? Let me just kind of uh, be general here for the sake of time. I think everything you describe is absolutely true and accurate. It's obvious you understand the changes that are taking place in the music industry. Do new musicians need consulting? Absolutely. Do I think that you can create a profitable business model consulting new musicians? I doubt it. I think that's where this breaks down. We know they need it. We know you have enough information and knowledge about it to provide the services, but I don't think you can make an economic model work consulting with those people one-on-one. Now, could you break it down a little bit and consult with somebody who's already had a couple successful albums out there? Possibly, but then those people are more than likely going to be under contract with a record label and they expect to get the services you're describing from the record label. So again, it kind of falls apart at that point. You know, Could you do seminars or workshops or teleseminars for musician wannabes? Yeah, you could do that. But again, it's a tough market because most of the time those people don't have two nickels to rub together. I just think in as much as you got a great sounding business idea, I don't think it can really be made to work uh, very well. And I've, I've seen a lot of people try to make that work again, recognizing the need as you do and having the heart for it as you do. But I just think it's a tough business model to make work. I think there's a whole lot easier ways to make a business model work than that particular one. Sergio says, uh, Dan, I have a business degree, an MBA, 
But I recently decided to drop my second master's. It wasn't interesting me. I decided to get my real estate license in Florida. I've been job hunting, searching for my passion for the past 16 months after quitting my job in the Caribbean. I've read 48 Days and No More Dreaded Mondays three times. Does James 1.8 apply to me? Now, James 1.8. Let me lead into it a couple verses back. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, that's pretty harsh language, and I use that verse a ton with people who get trapped in procrastination and indecision or just praying and you know, seeking supernatural wisdom from the Lord, and all they've done is create a socially acceptable way of being indecisive, and it does cripple them in all they do. Now, in your situation, you decided to drop your second master's wasn't interesting to you. Good. Good decision. Don't do that. You decided to get your real estate license in Florida. You've been job hunting, searching for your passion for the past 16 months after quitting your job in the Caribbean. Well, I trust that in that period of time, you haven't just been sitting on a stump somewhere waiting for a bolt of lightning. I mean, this is an ongoing journey. Finding our passion, really clarifying that is an ongoing process. It's not a once over kind of thing. So don't be too hard on yourself. I mean, the fact that you are still exploring degree programs, you're still learning, you're seeking new knowledge, you're trying new things. No, that's a healthy kind of thing. What you don't want to do is get trapped in something that you really don't enjoy. And three years later, you're still there. I would much rather you have tried four different things in that period of time and discovered that you don't like any of them. At least you're moving. You In the moving, you can discover and see new things that may be a better fit. So that's my only concern. Are you stuck feeling trapped in something and not making any changes? Uh, that does concern me. And I think perhaps James 1.8, you know, double-minded man unstable in all his ways may apply. But if you're trying new things, and, and again, it doesn't say how old you are, Sergio, but if you're, if you're young, I mean, th- this is a legitimate process of figuring it out. I was impacted heavily by the works of Carl Jung. German psychoanalyst, contemporary of Sigmund Freud when I was young and a student. And he said very clearly, you know, to think that you could become an effective therapist, as an example, when you come just out of college and start doing that is pretty ludicrous. You ought to have a variety of life experiences. And it's only when somebody approaches maybe 45 or 50 that they would have the experience to be credible as a therapist or counselor. I took that very seriously. While I had a master's degree in clinical psychology, I never wanted to be involved in psychotherapy. But with life experiences, when I was about 45, 46 years old, some things kind of came together and I was able to draw on that academic background and my own life experiences, good, bad, and ugly, and form that into a coaching business that's been very successful for me. So don't think you have to figure it out too early. The process of trying something, deciding you don't like it is a legitimate part of the clarification that should be coming along with that. Renee from Texas says, pros and cons, please. I'm purchasing some acres with a house outside the city limits, close to a growing community. Um, I want to build a multi-use facility for a church, YMCA office space. Also want to take Make the most use of our name. 
Green Life Christian Fellowship with phrases like going green, a model for our structure would be in the theme of Live Strong Headquarters in Austin, Texas. Ideas, please. Well, I like what you're talking about. I think it makes a lot of sense to have a building that is multi-use. And uh, believe, this week I heard Lauren Cunningham talk. Lauren Cunningham is a, a, an amazing individual. I mean, meets with kings and presidents all over the world. The founder of um, YWAM, Youth with a Mission. They have put hundreds of thousands of kids through their training program and impacted the world in just unmeasurable ways. But but he said, one of the things he said, we were in a small reception, and one of the things he said was, you don't have to have a steeple on your building in order to do ministry out of that building. I mean, if you want to have a community center where kids meet, or you want to have a YMCA, or you want to have a little business, or you want to have a little organic greenhouse, I mean, those can all be direct forms of ministry as legitimately as something that has a steeple on top where people meet for 58 minutes on Sunday morning. And frankly, I think it's poor stewardship to have a building that's only used for a couple hours on Sunday morning that sets vacant the rest of the week. So having the kind of things that you're outlining here is fine. Now, at the same time, I think all of us do best when we have a clear focus. I think for a church to decide that they're going to have a school, a daycare, a YMCA, a bookstore, a publishing company, you know, a cemetery, I think dilutes them doing anything well, just like it does for any of us. So I think they can partner with others who do those things well, who have experience and expertise in those areas. But I think it's overreaching to, for a church to try to, do, to duplicate everything that ought to be done in any given community. So be a church if that's what you want to be, but then link arms with those who have all these other areas of expertise who can use your land, your facility, use it effectively. I think that's a great model to work toward. Nathan says, Dan, have you ever heard of the six-figure second income, how to start and grow a successful online business without quitting your day job by uh, David Lindell and Jonathan Rosick? I have an idea for teaching the guitar online, and I came across this book. What would you recommend from your experience? Nathan, I'm not familiar with that book, Second Figure Income, How to Start and Grow a Successful Online Business Without Quitting Your Day Job. It sounds like a book I ought to get, and I will, but I would recommend that you get it. Now, why would I say that? Because you're thinking about starting an idea online, teaching the guitar online. Absolutely. I can tell you categorically without reservation, you ought to buy that book. Now, why would I say that when it's something that I have not even read myself? I say that because I think you ought to read 10 books on that topic. And just from the topic alone, the subject title of the book, sure, go ahead and get it. I mean, it's 16 bucks on Amazon. I did check that. It's got good reviews. Um, I mean, a lot of great reviews on there. So people are saying this really is helpful. Absolutely get that. But don't take just one source of information like that and then think that you're finished. I would encourage you to get nine other books. I mean, things like multiple streams of internet income, Robert Allen. Now there's two books. There's one multiple streams of income by Robert Allen, but I, the one I just mentioned is multiple streams of internet income, which is clearly focused just on making money on the internet. Still one of the best compilations of how to do that. Well, pick up trust agents, Chris Brogan's book. How do you build an online community and then monetize that crush it by Gary Vinachek? 
absolutely get that book. Gary's a wild and crazy guy. I mean, he's made his money teaching people about wine. That has nothing to do with what you want to do, but Gary understands online presence, building an online community and monetizing that. So yeah, you ought to get the book you're talking about, get eight or nine others, read those. I mean, in 60 days, you can be absolutely an expert in that arena, how to make money teaching guitar online, and then just do it. You don't need to go back to school and spend two years getting an MBA or getting a a bachelor's degree and something to help. No, just read several books on that topic, learn how to do it well, get the advice and opinion of other people, and you're up and running, you know, within 90 days. Actually, you can do it 48 days. Obviously, I believe you can do it. Doug from St. Louis says, Dan, I thought you'd be interested in this article. Peter Thiel, founder of PayPal, is offering $100,000 to select students 20 years old or younger to leave college and develop their innovative ideas working with entrepreneurs. uh, I'm interested in your thoughts. Love your podcast. Well, thanks, Doug. I appreciate your question. Yes, I'm very familiar with what Peter Thiel is doing. And this is very real. This is not some urban legend that uh, just got out there as a hoax. He really is. He, he set it up to select 20 students where he would help them with technology and linking them up with entrepreneurs to develop their ideas. But he is specifically targeting college students to pull them out of college for at least two years to develop their business. Now, you know the rest of the story. I mean, we've got those stories about Michael Dell and Bill Gates and countless others who, once they got clear on what they wanted to do, dropped out of college never to return again. And when somebody develops an idea and starts making you know, a quarter of a million dollars a year, uh, they usually are not drawn back to college so they get a degree where they'll be assured of making a $45,000 a year salary. I mean, it's just the way it goes. Now, if Thiel is is shaking things up a lot here, and obviously he is really taking an adversarial kind of stance against traditional academics, and they're all upset about it. And some of these students, now he, he actually selected 24. He couldn't narrow it down to 20. So he's, he's selected 24, and they're leaving some very prestigious institutions like Harvard University and MIT and Stanford. Cambridge, they're leaving places like that to take him up in his offer to get $100,000 and the expertise to help them develop a business idea that they already had, which they had to submit. These are not just guys with vacant minds. These are guys who already have an idea. And so he's going to help develop it. But Theo, who, who himself went to Stanford and then he got his law degree there. So it's not like he hasn't been involved in academics, but he says the rising cost of a college degree and high student debt make education today a very risky investment. I agree 110%. I mean, the countless, countless stories I get of people who have $120,000 in student loan debt and can't find a $10 an hour job, you know, just break my heart. And I think, what in the world have we, how have we deceived these kids that much to get them to obligate themselves to that kind of debt for no marketable skills at all? So I'm a big believer in clarify as you go. Now, college is a good place to do that. You can clarify as you go, but clarify what it is you want to do. And as you get clear on that, you know, start to develop it. Getting that piece of paper at the end of four years is no magic ticket to anything, certainly not fame and fortune. It just shows that you hung around for four years and paid somebody a lot of money. 
But so to take that as part of the equation, the real core is, have you gotten clarity on what your purpose and passion is and how you're going to put legs on that? And if that comes at the end of the second year of college, you know, start doing it. If it comes before, after you graduated from high school, you start doing it then. You know, if in fact you want to be a brain surgeon, then obviously start immediately into the college process because you need to go to school and then to medical school to get the credentials to position you to be able to do what your passion is. So the question is, what is your passion? What does it take to position and prepare you for that? Josh has an interesting question. He says, Dan, I really enjoy helping others on the Pursuing Your Calling group on 48days.net. But recently someone questioned whether their affinity for an activity was a passion or an addiction. Can you help explain the difference? Man, I love the question. And you know, that comes up a lot. I mean, I, I have confronted pastors with their being drawn back to starting a church after some strong indications that maybe that wasn't a good fit. And, uh, you know, where they say, well, gee, this is my calling. And I've confronted pastors with, is it really your calling or is it just an addiction because of the kind of things that happen with the title of pastor? Now, I won't go into that particularly on this, but what's the difference between a passion and an addiction? Well, you know, it's a great question. And in, in many ways, it's a matter of degree. I mean, a passion is something that you're clearly drawn to, you want to spend time with, and perhaps would do even if money were not an object. But addiction means you can't walk away from it. You, you're you're going to start borrowing from the time you ought to be spending with family or social activities or other areas of personal development. And as that, I mean, the dictionary addiction, definition of addiction is the state of being enslaved to a habit or practice or to something that is psychologically or physically habit forming. Obviously, we know narcotics or drugs or cigarettes, you know, are addictions because you become physically addicted as well as psychologically addicted. So we, we can kind of frame addiction, but certainly people can become addicted to gambling or online pornography or work. I mean, when I, I ran this up the flagpole with my wife, Joanne, and she said, well, are you addicted to your work? Because I do spend a lot of time in my work. And I said, well, you help me answer that. You know, if I'm addicted to my work, then when, you know, the granddaughters show up, on our property, you know, does my office door stay closed? Well, not a, not a chance in the world. Trust me. My office door is open anytime, day or night when my granddaughters show up down here. I mean, does it mean that I uh, don't show up for dinner when you have dinner ready? No. I mean, does it mean that we, you know, don't take a break or spend long weekends just gone on a two, three day trip? I mean, we do a lot of that. So, I mean, I would certainly, and as much as I am very passionate about my work, yes, I do enjoy spending time doing that. Yes, I would do it, even if there was not a direct connection to money generation. But uh, addiction goes way over the line. So you can ask yourself the question about that with things that you, I mean, the, the, the young guy in question with this particular question wanted to do video gaming. Well, video gaming is one of those things that has crossed the line for a lot of young kids especially, where it does become an addiction, where they spend, you know, 20 hours a day online in video games. And that clearly is an addiction. But if it's something you want to develop, you know how to develop new software for improved games or whatever. No, then it could certainly be a passion that you could put legs on. So I don't think it's not a matter of, you know, landscaping is a very reasonable passion for a lot of people. 
but it becomes an addiction if that then borrows from the success in all those other areas of life where you ought to be making deposits as well. I mean, anything can become an addiction. I mean, washing your car can become an addiction if you do it, you know, twice a day, a rain or shine, and you do it when you ought to be doing other things with your family. So that it's a matter of degree. Great question. Katie says, my husband is interviewing for a dream job, a real estate trainer recommended by his broker, partner, and former trainer. And she's on the hiring committee. Uh, we're not a hundred percent sure, but we're hopeful, but we've been told the pay was 40% less than what we could afford. The chief operating officer told him management took a 10% voluntary pay cut to keep their jobs. Can we even ask for 20% more than what is offered? Well, I think you need to reframe how you're looking at this. Your husband wants to be a real estate trainer. The best way to frame this to get the money that you want, I mean, to take a job with this company as a real estate trainer at 40% less than what you can afford, no, that'd be ludicrous. Don't do that. I don't care if it is a dream job. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. So it's not a dream job if you're going to lose your house in the process of giving them 40 hours a week. Real estate trainer, I mean, think about that. Nobody needs a real estate trainer to be training people 40 hours a week. I don't care how big the company is. It just doesn't work that way. Training days are usually set up. Let's say that it's three, four, or five days a month. Position yourself as the go-to person to come in and do that and knock it out of the park because of the quality programs that you're doing. That's a whole lot different. When I was doing leadership development seminars, workshops, and I did this a lot for for real estate companies. I mean, I would go in and do a three hour, this was years ago, this was back in the mid 80s, but I would go in and do a three hour workshop on leadership development, use the personality profile, how can you manage, sell, lead effectively, knowing your personality style. Three hour workshop is $3,500, limited to 20 people, that was way back then. I had companies bring me in repeatedly, where I would be there like once a quarter, Often I would do a a group in the morning, a group in the afternoon, and they would pay me $8,000 a day for the combined workshops and then having lunch with the management team. We just make it an even 8,000 bucks a day. Now, if you break that down as an employee, what I was making hourly, it would choke a horse. No company's going to want to pay that for a, a trainer. Position yourself as a consultant who's a trainer rather than an employee. So position it where you can meet all their training needs make what they're willing to pay for that position, but still leave 70% of your time free to offer the same kind of training to other companies. Now, it doesn't matter if they want to non-compete, they don't want you to go to other real estate companies. Training people to be successful, I mean, 85% of the content is going to have an overlap, whether you're training real estate people, you're, you're training people working in insurance or you know medical or some other kind of industry. So position yourself as a trainer, even if you have a non-compete with them, so you aren't going to be training other real estate companies in your market area, you are a trainer. You're not just an employee. You, you ought to be thinking differently. If you really are a trainer, you shouldn't be drawn to an employee model. Position yourself as a consultant. You can knock it out of the park and accomplish all your goals, his dream work, and the company paying what they think is reasonable, and you increasing, not decreasing your income. And that's what, how I would suggest you look at it. 
Javier says, Dan, I'm thinking of opening my own financial services business, but after taking your personality profile test, I don't know if a high CS personality style could be a good mortgage salesman. Your thoughts are appreciated. Thank you. Well, as a high CS, you will tend to be empathetic, caring, good listening, nurturing advisor, and do great work with those people once they're setting down across from you, nose to nose, face to face. And yes, you'll likely have difficulty with the sales and marketing part of running the business. So if you're going to have your own financial services business, then you have to figure out how are you going to do the marketing effectively? Now, I have a whole lot of passive marketing systems built into our business. I have a whole lot of content that people can read and listen to, participate in, and then it suggests if you are interested in going more in depth, here's a product for you. You can do the same kind of thing because then the people who actually get to me requesting coaching services, they're so far down the pipeline in terms of services they've already received from me that it's a no-brainer. They just say, when can I get in? It's not like they're sticking their toe in the water and I have to sell them anything. They're just saying, how soon can I get in to see one of, see you or one of your coaches? So you can do that. You can do that in financial services, but with the same kind of thing, give, give, give a lot of information, do free seminars and workshops. There'll be people in those who say, how can I come to see you individually? So it's a great non-confrontational soft sell to fill your schedule, but you have to be very intentional, very strategic about what are the four or five things you're going to do consistently to keep your schedule full. So it's not where you have to go out knocking on doors trying to get financial services clients. Yeah, I think with that, you're going to have a real hard time. Rebecca says, my J-O-B doesn't allow outside employment. I'm starting a B-L-O-G to share my passion and earn residual income. How can I cultivate my dream life of writing while earning extra money to transition out of my current J-O-B since it does not allow me to pursue these activities concurrently? What would Dan do? Well, Dan would take a very literal look at what does this mean? They don't allow outside employment. I mean, no, no, just think about this. We have 168 hours in a week, 168 hours in a week. Most companies expect to get 40 hours of that. That's a very reasonable trade-off. You ought to be giving them 40 hours of reasonable, excellent, responsible service. But that leaves 128 hours of your own. Can they control those other 128 hours? I don't think so. When it says they don't allow outside employment, they may not allow you to have another, you know, 40 hour a week job or perhaps even a 30 hour a week job. That's not even what you're describing. Outside employment, are they going to prevent you from developing an idea that you have of your own, whether that's an invention or writing on the side with those 128 hours of the week that ought to be totally yours and yours alone? No, nobody can prevent you from doing things with those that turn into productivity. So if you write blog and all of a sudden those things start creating income and a year down the road, those things are generating more income than your traditional job, boy, you've got an easy transition. You walk in and say, guess what? I'm giving my two weeks notice. I've got this other thing that I developed. You know, do they have a right to scream and jump up and down and say, you promised you wouldn't have any outside employment. No, it doesn't even fit the terminology. You didn't have outside employment. You just were developing ideas on your own, legitimately so, wisely so. And they did turn into ways that were generating income for you. I don't think you've got any obstacles at all. 
to doing what you're talking about. I encourage you to jump in it, do it, and have fun. Cece says, Dan, I'm a high school counselor. Overworked, but my job is totally secure. Eh, eh, eh. Red flag, red flag. Well, hey, I know with tenure and all that, you know, everybody thinks they've got a secure job. There's no such animal. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can, can happen, but let's just, let's just assume that it is more secure than most. So CC's high school counselor overworked, but her job is totally secure. Getting my counseling license would take three and a half years, cost about $10,000, but could provide about $25,000 of income yearly during the process, working only part time. I would have to find my own clients plus pay my health insurance. Do you think it's worth it? I'm scared. Thanks. Cece, this is not a financial issue. This is an issue of passion and life planning. Do you want to be a counselor? Do you want to expand that part of what you're doing now? Do you want to be a licensed counselor? Do you have the heart to work with people? You love that the, the business model and the psychodynamics of counseling people. If you do, then by all means, go ahead and get your counseling license. But don't do this just as a way to squeeze in a little more income and then feeling uh, vulnerable at the bottom end because you aren't sure you're ever gonna wanna walk away from the job you have now anyway because you would have to generate your own clients. No, you need to have a whole lot more clarity and confidence about what you're moving to here. Not just what you're moving from, but what you're moving to. So this is not a financial issue. This is not a job issue. This is a matter of clarifying your passion, purpose, calling, and creating a life plan for the next five years. Please approach it as such. If being a licensed counselor is the top of the pyramid at the end of your five-year goals and dreams, then by all means do this. If it's not, look for other things that are going to be more fulfilling for you. A whole lot of licensed counselors out there who are starving to death. All right, a couple more here. Oh, let me okay. Let me go quick. Pat says, "Dan, I have a huge love for giving to people who are truly in need. I love leaving a note and gift, and then run and hide to see the reaction. Can I make this into a profitable business to do this every day and make a good living at it too?" Pat, probably not. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it and have a lot of fun in the process. I mean, think about the pay it forward movie that became so popular. You know, not everything we do in life has to generate income. And as much as I talk about, you know, find your passion and figure out a way to have it create income for you. Yeah, obviously, that's a great goal. But there's a whole lot of things we do as passion that may never be connected to creating income at all. I mean, I, I expect people to have multiple passions, as I do. Do some of my passions create income? Absolutely. Do some of my passions not create income? Absolutely. There are things that I thoroughly enjoy doing, spend time doing every week, that I have no plan at any point in the future, through eternity, to generate a penny. There are passions that I enjoy doing. I would encourage you to keep this framed as one of those. Figure out what you're going to do to create income. And figure out what you're going to do to create income that goes beyond your own personal needs. I mean, give out of a full cup. I mean, how cool is that? If you cut the cord, if you kill the golden goose so that you have no means of generating income, how can you continue giving away in a way that you like to do it? Are you then going to expect other people to give to you just because you like to give away? So all you are is an in-between person. 
You're a broker. No, don't put yourself in that position. Do something where you knock it out of the park financially and then allocate whatever resources you want to to doing what you're describing here where you do give away and see people's unexpected reactions. I mean, what a cool thing to do. But don't try to turn that into the only thing you do and all of a sudden you're eating rice and beans and you're going to have to you know, leave a kernel of rice on somebody's front doorstep and it's not going to have much impact anyway. Don't put yourself in that position. Well, I'm going to have to wrap it up there. Man, i got a couple others here. We'll get to those another time. How to stay clear in your calling, even if the job changes. We'll come back to some of those. Well, hey, this is, uh, I I love this process, as I hope is obvious. I love this time each week. I run into people each week. Had a guy stop here at our house Monday morning. Monday was Memorial Day, a holiday. I was sitting out on the porch reading early, early in the morning. Somebody pulled in slowly our driveway, parked, walked up to our doorstep and it was a young man who was traveling and he was headed for two weeks military service driving from st louis to georgia and he just has been impacted by listening to me listens every week waits for the podcast to pop up and i thought you know that it's a wonderful way to have a connection with people i take that very seriously value the connection it's not just one directional i value the input and feedback that i get from you all about how your lives have changed i have to tell you his story in an upcoming podcast got a wonderful wonderful story himself about um, getting access to some uh, 40 days materials when he was in the military overseas got clear came back and has knocked it out of the park with the things that he's doing and inspiring others just a great story to tell well i know you're developing your story as well enjoy the process document it have it so you can tell your grandchildren remember back in 2010 this is what i did this is how it became a stepping stone in the story of my life here's where i am today but that's where i was back in 2010 Hey, love having you as part of the family. Thanks for being part of this group where all of us together are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling, and profitable.